Good to see each of you. As great as it is being a parent, I think you'd agree with this, those of you who know what I'm talking about. It's a thousand times more awesome to be a grandparent. And um, just, uh, I mean, you, you get all, of, you know, a lot of the good stuff and, and hardly any of the bad stuff with uh, helping, uh, helping see these little ones grow. And uh, one of the things that uh, Kim and I enjoy so much when we get to be with Esther is just to uh, enjoy her take on life, her love for life, her uh, perspective on everything is completely different in a very, very refreshing way, a new way to look at everything. And we enjoy that so much. And one of the things that, uh, that uh, Esther loves to remind us, is, remind us of is how quickly she's growing. And, uh, and, and she's always thinking, when I get bigger, I can do this. When I get bigger, I can do, and then she'll say, when I was little, I used to do this or I couldn't do. And so that's, that's a constant theme. It's just a part of her growing is exciting. And, uh, I mean, we'll see a deer and she says, when I get bigger, I can catch that deer. Well, I mean, you know, she's probably never going to be able to do that, but I love the enthusiasm and the idea and and just the excitement about growing. I wish it were the same with us as believers. Growing is hard. There's a lot of difficulty in growing. And the Bible talks about suffering as an integral part of growing. And, and we don't like that part. It's, it's not something that we enjoy. It's not something that's fun. There's a lot of pain in following the Lord. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of hardship. There's, there's, there's setbacks. But I wish that we could recapture or maybe capture for the first time a joy and an excitement about growing in the Lord such as Esther has been teaching me, and I've been trying to learn from her. And so that's what we've been looking at in 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11, and we'll also look at a companion passage, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Our growth, His glory. Our growth, His glory. In 1 Peter by now, you're probably uh, pretty close to having it memorized, which is good. And uh, we see this final challenge to believers as Peter's about to finish this first letter. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, to match all the suffering, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Our growth, to Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. His glory. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, this is Paul's last challenge to the believers at the church of Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to 
withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Four times there in that passage in Ephesians, stand, stand, withstand, stand. Growth is all about standing. When you're an infant, you can't do much. But as you grow, you do more. And then there comes that day. Rachel sent recently a little video of our youngest at this point, maybe not within a couple of days, a few days, but our little Phoenix. And she's been so tiny and so small, a little slow, uh, slower than uh, some of the others in doing things. But, uh, you know, been doing that all for bear crawl and then stood up. And started taking a couple of steps. Standing up is one of, the, one of the great markers of growth. If a child never stands up, there is something seriously wrong. And they're not going to be able to do so much more if they don't make that first growth marker. For a believer to be strong spiritually means to stand. To stand on your own two feet. When we're a baby Christian, we're carried by the grace of the Lord. It's all exciting and new. We're excited about being forgiven of our sins. And the Lord protects us from harm, it seems like, for a period. Because He's carrying us around in His arm. There's this, there's this uh, co- cocoon of grace that He wraps us in. But then there comes a point as we grow that we need to be able to, to stand. And we need to be able to continue to stand. And even when we get knocked down, we need to be able to get back up. The Bible says in Proverbs that a just man falleth seven times and rises again. That's a part of spiritual growth. To stand. To stand in victory, Ephesians is telling us. To stand complete, which is what we're going to look at this morning. And that's what Peter is telling us. There are three things in that passage, verses 10 and 11. It, and we're going to look at them today in the next couple of weeks. To stand complete, to stand strong, and to stand immovable. Those are the words that Peter uses. Stand complete. If you have a King James Bible, it says to be perfect. Uh, if you have an ESV or a New American Standard, it may have the word to restore. And the idea is to put in order. It's, it's not that God is just helping us to be a little better when He saves us. He desires in, the, in, in salvation to put us back to where Adam was before sin and before the fall. To have a relationship that's unhindered, that's unbroken. To have spiritual victory and spiritual strength and spiritual authority as we stand before our Creator. And that is to put in order what sin has destroyed. Salvation's not just saying, Lord, save me, and we receive forgiveness of sins, and we say, thank you, Lord, for eternal life and the opportunity to go to heaven. It is God 
strengthening us to stand before the world, to stand before heavenly powers of wickedness, to stand before suffering that might bring us down, but ultimately to stand before holy God, complete in Christ. That's what salvation is about. We think of salvation oftentimes so with a, such a narrow focus, it constricts our idea of what salvation is like. It's not just being born again, that initial time of entering into our relationship with God, of Him saving us from the penalty of sin, trusting what He did at the cross, and we think of that as salvation. No, salvation is starts there, but it includes growing, God delivering us from the power of sin in our life, being freed from the captivity and the bondage of sin as we grow stronger and learn how to stand in victory. And then salvation is complete. It is consummated when we stand before Him, faultless before the throne. Our salvation then is absolutely fulfilled and complete. So you and I are saved, but we're being saved, and one day we will be saved. And that's how we understand salvation. Sure, we say, I was saved at this point, but I think sometimes we're content with just leaving it there in our minds. No, I am being saved right now. And one day I will be saved like I am not saved now. When that salvation work is complete in me. Stand complete. Perfect. To be perfect in the same way, your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Now in that particular passage, it's talking about the kindness of the Father. The goodness of the Father. So in the same way that God is perfect in His kindness, in His compassion, in His love, we're to be perfect in that way to strive for perfection we cannot be perfect as God is perfect in the same degree of holiness but we're to have that same standard of the attributes of God working out of our life as believers you remember James 1 4 also it says and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. That's spiritual growth. Just keep trusting the Lord, keep following the Lord, keep getting back up when you fall down or when you get knocked down or when suffering brings you down or your own fears bring you down. Just get back up and keep following the Lord and trusting Him and learning from Him. Let steadfastness have its perfect work, making you complete that you are lacking in nothing. Don't you desire that for your children and for your grandchildren? That they're lacking in nothing. All that you do as parents is so that they might be complete. That they might continue to grow. And that they might know as much as they can know. That they might have as much wisdom as they can. That their heart should be kind. That they might grow up to be people who are good and merciful and just and desire to do what's right. Don't you desire that for your children? How much more does our Father desire that for His children? He's brought us into His family. He's adopted us. We are His, and He desires so much more for us than I think we realize or understand. Let's look at four things this morning in our time together. Four things. First of all, our calling to be saved. 
assures its completion. By the very fact that you have been called by a sovereign act of our gracious God to be saved assures that He will complete His work of salvation in you. Our calling assures its completion. Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now you're never going to be this side of heaven all that you want to be and all that God saved you to be. But you can be assured of this, God will complete what he has started on that day. Don't get too frustrated or upset that you're not exactly where you ought to be. Sometimes that allows us just to kind of slip back. Well, you know, it just seems like I'm not where I ought to be. It seems like I've tripped up in this area again. It seems like I've given in to this sin again. It seems like I ought to be able to better handle this, this difficult situation. And after all, I've been saved for X amount of time. Listen. Trust in the Lord's work to watch over His calling you to salvation. You you can be assured and confident if He has called you to Himself, He will continue to work in your life. Now that's going to be a process until the day that you breathe your last breath. You're never going to be perfect and complete until the day you stand before the Lord Jesus, but He's going to continue to work in you. He's not going to let you go. No matter how much you or I might slip up or slide back, the Lord is going to continue that work. Our calling assures that. Number two, our goal ensures that we will stay on course until completion. The goal that the Lord has put before us keeps us on track. Now, there are times when we might veer, but if we get our goal back in sight, then we're going to get back on course. What you're looking at, if you're driving or or if you're um, uh, needing to follow a certain direction, what you're looking at long term, your body will, will follow that direction in large part. And so, if you're looking at the ditch all the time, you're always going to be kind of veering over to the right. You're just, you're just going to do that. Where we're looking causes us just kind of naturally to go that direction. And so, our goal ensures that we will stay on course until completion. Have you ever veered off course? Don't raise your hand. All of us have. And our need is, is to get the goal back in focus. Now, here, here's what the Word says. Philippians 3, and I want you to turn there with me, Philippians 3, and uh, verse, beginning in verse 14. I want us to read this together. Look at it together. Verse 14, Philippians 3, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the ultimate goal of our growth in the Lord. To be like Him, to be with Him, to be a trophy of His grace, to reflect His glory as He saved us and worked in us what we could not do in ourselves. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature, he's talking about spiritual maturity, think this way. That is to be the way a person who desires to be spiritually mature thinks. I'm pressing on toward the goal. I'm I'm looking to Christ. I'm not stopping. I'm not letting up. I'm not letting anything deter me. I'm not I'm not giving up even though I might stumble. My goal is to keep on toward the Lord Jesus. To lift Him up. To trust Him. To look like Him in my life and my attitudes and my characteristics. That is how we need to think if we desire to be spiritually mature. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if if in anything, any part of your life, you think otherwise... God will reveal that also to you. God will reveal to you the areas you need to grow in. The areas where you do not yet look like Christ. Where you're veering away because your eyes are not on the goal. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Keep remembering where the Lord has saved you from. Keep remembering how far He's brought you. Keep remembering what He's taught you so far. Don't slip back. There are a couple of things about this passage in Philippians that I want to point out to you. And it's just, to me, when I read this passage, I see three questions that I ask myself. Number one, is love for God and love for others a first priority in my life? Is that what drives me? Is that what motivates me? Love for God and love for others. Is that top priority? Number two, am I willing to do whatever it takes to maintain a right relationship with God and others? This is the way I need to think. This is what I need to to be about in my daily life. Being right with God and being right with others. And God will grow and do His work of growth, spiritual growth. And then am I obedient to the Word in all that I do? Am I seeking to line my life up, my actions up, my responses to life situations and circumstances? Am I lining it up as best as I can as the Spirit gives me wisdom to the Word of God? Am I obedient to the Word of God in all that I do? Four, I think I said three. I'm going to add one more. And I see this here, that God will reveal this also to you. Only let us be true to what we have attained. Will my worship be enhanced or hindered by what I do? As I live out my week, will it help me as I come and meet with brothers and sisters in Christ? Will I be able to worship the Lord more freely because of how I've lived my life through the week? Or will my head be hanging down a little bit? Because I know that I've not kept my eye on the goal and I've slipped and I've not repented of this and I've not surrendered to the Lord in that. And so my, my worship is hindered because I come before the Lord's presence and before the family of God and things are not right in my heart and in my life. When we have this type of attitude and when these questions become something that that 
become a continual source of examining whether we're right with the Lord or not. These types of questions, because we want to be right with the Lord and we have that goal in front of us at all times, God will accomplish spiritual growth in us. You don't, you don't get spiritually mature by just checking off list of quote-unquote spiritual things that you do. It is a life lived of obedience and yieldedness and surrender, a heart that desires to honor Him. And God, He strengthens you. He is the one that builds spiritual strength and maturity in you. You can't do that. It's a work of God just as much as salvation is. We tend to think, and even though we have a part in it, but we tend to think, well, God saved me, but I'm responsible for spiritual growth. There's an element of responsibility, but God is the one that, will help us to grow and to be complete, to stand complete. Third thing I want us to see is this. Turn with me in Hebrews 13, if you would. Hebrews 13. Our contract guarantees more than enough provision for completion of this spiritual growth process. Our contract or our covenant with God guarantees more than enough provision for completion. Some of you have to work with contracts. You have to uh, say, uh, I agree to do this job uh, for this amount of money, and it's going to approximately be this much. It's going gonna, it's gonna to include this. It's not going to include this. It's going to take approximately this amount of time. If it's any more, I'll let you. And so many of you deal with contracts. Do you know that our spiritual growth, God has made a contract with us? That's what the covenant is that we read here in Hebrews 13. Look with me if you would. Now may the God of peace, verse 20, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, our contract. This contract that God has made with us is sealed with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. This is... In a sense, a legal contract that God has graciously allowed to enter into with us. Usually contracts are, are made with certain agreements from two partners that, are, that, are, that agree to certain terms and each gives something and they're, 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 they're considered fairly equal. Not so in this contract. We are in no way uh, able to really provide anything at all. We are not equal in any sense, but God graciously condescends and desires to enter into an eternal contract with us by the blood of Jesus, and it's called salvation. And look at what he says about this contract. By the blood of the eternal covenant to equip you, God guarantees that He's going to watch over you and the work of salvation in you. To equip you with everything good that you may do His will. That's in the contract. That's what God assures. I know it doesn't seem like that in your life and in my life sometimes. It seems like we just continually mess up. It seems like we don't have the tools to do what we know we ought to do. It seems like we'll never live up to the fact that we're saved. It seems like we keep stumbling here and there and but I want you to know, you need to go back to the contract. And you need to remind yourself, and you need to be reminded as you pray and as you ask God to forgive you. God, you said that you would give me everything that I need that's good to work your will in my life. And I believe that. I know that sometimes I fall way short of the contract. 
And I've not lived up to my end of the bargain in any way. In fact, I don't even have an end of the bargain. This is all on your end. And yet you've made this contract with me. Working in us. Look again in verse 21. Working in us. We work, but it's really God who works in us. That which is pleasing in His sight through Christ Jesus. Our growth, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. His glory. Our growth, His glory. Jesus is the mediator, according to Hebrews 12, 24, of this contract. He is the one that is between us and holy God, the Father. He is the one that has made the contract possible. He has signed it and sealed it with His own blood. He watches over, ever lives to make intercession for us in this contract that we're in with holy God. We are the creature that was fallen, that was sinful, that was broken. And yet God entered into contract to restore us, to save us, to make us better than we could have ever been before and to stand before Him as redeemed and as saved. This contract includes, and I want you to hear this, a startling to me promissory clause. It's it's amazing. Just listen. Don't turn there, but this is what this contract includes. I'm going to read Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Isn't that amazing? Just in the same sense as Christ is fully God in the flesh, you and I, according to this contract that God has made with us at salvation, is just as much filled with Christ in all that we'll ever need to live out God's will and to bring God glory. It's incredible. It's amazing. Paul says that we have the mind of Christ. I don't understand all of that, but I do believe that everything that we need that pertains to godliness has been provided in Christ. There's nothing lacking that we need to obey the Lord. There's nothing lacking that we need to do God's will. There's nothing lacking that we need that is yet to be given that has not already been given in Christ. Sure, we fall short. Sure, we fail to appropriate the grace of God. Sure, many times we don't act like that we've been filled with the fullness of Christ. But let me ask you something. Is the Holy Spirit secondary in His Godhead to Christ or the Father? Absolutely not. He is fully God. Who lives within you as a believer? Who resides in you? Who are we to continue to learn to yield to? That's a part of spiritual growth. And that's learning to yield and be under the control of the Spirit so the fruits of the Spirit will come out. It's the Holy Spirit who is God. You don't get part of God. You don't get just some of God when you get saved. God lives within us, dwells within His people, 
We are the temple of the living God that he has chosen to dwell in. Spiritual growth is living up to our privilege in Christ. So many of us live beneath the privilege that we've been adopted into, that we've been saved into. But it's learning to live up to our privilege and according to the authority that is in Christ and that He has put in us. Sin no longer has dominion over us as believers. We give in to sin, but sin has no dominion. There is, there's much more strength to live the Christian life than any of us have ever tapped into. It's growing to the point where we begin to live up to our privilege as a son or a daughter of the king. I wish I had a picture of the little, uh, the little guy in England who is uh, heir to the throne twice removed. He's just a little bitty guy. I don't know, how old is, how old is he? What's his name? Is it, is it, what's it, what's the little one's name? Is it George? It may be. Anyway, one day, if everything goes according to plan, he could be the king of England. He doesn't have any idea of that now. He's just a little bitty kid. He wears nicer clothes than any other little bitty kids, and he has a little bit better surroundings, and uh, uh, he's treated pretty royally because he is royalty, but he's just a little kid. But as he grows, he will grow up into the person that he has been already set apart to be. You and I have been called to a much higher calling than we could ever imagine. Salvation is not just about getting us into heaven. It's raising us up to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we live beneath the privilege so often. Let me give you one last thing, and that is our support that aids in the work of this completion. God doesn't just leave us alone. He puts the Holy Spirit within us, but He also gives us external support to help us. And I want you to turn with me for this last part to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4. I'm almost done, Silas. Hang on there, buddy. Ephesians 4, verse 11, talks about our aid that God gives us that helps us in this work of completion. And Jesus, He, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. Well, you have your own spiritual support team been given to you by the Lord Jesus. And the Lord gives us pastors and teachers. The Lord gives us people to help us spiritually to grow. The Lord gives us a church family and brothers and sisters in Christ that helps us to grow. And so we have our own spiritual support team. Any of you work in a job where every once in a while you have programs, computer programs that you have to use, and you have to go to the IT team. They're kind of behind the scenes. Nobody knows where they are, but you have to kind of go to them, and you have to get support from them. Well, the Lord gives us a spiritual support staff. It's a gift to us. None of us grow on our own. All of us need help. Hillary says it takes a village to raise a child, but the Word of God says it takes a family to raise a child of God. 
It takes a church family to raise a child of God. And so you've been given that spiritual support team. Secondly, here's your daily objective. Now, now watch this. We tend to think because we're so individualistic as Americans. What does spiritual growth mean for me? How does it look in my life? What will take place as I spiritually grow? How will this affect how I live? And to a certain extent, that's true. But we're way too individualistic. We look at ourselves way too much. Do you know what the Bible says? The true objective in spiritual growth is to be a blessing to others. To grow so we might help others grow and know the Lord. Look at this. To equip the saints so they can look really good in a white robe. No, that's not what it says. To equip the saints so they can look really good on Sunday morning at their Sunday best. No. To equip the saints for what? For work. For the work of the ministry. And not only for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You know what it looks like when Christians are growing? People are getting ministered to. People are being served. And the body of Christ is growing stronger. We think of what it looks like when I'm growing in the Lord, how much better I look, and what that tends to do sometimes is give us a twinge of pride. Well, I've done this, or I've come this far, or I've done this for the Lord. But really what it manifests itself in is in how much and in how well we're serving and ministering to others and how much stronger our body is corporately. That's what spiritual growth looks like. Not only our daily objective, but our long-term goal. Look at verse 13 here. Here's our long-term goal. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Your long-term goal is the health of the body of Christ. What can I do so our body can be stronger? How can I live so our body can be more at peace with one another? What can I do to prevent spiritual weakness in our body? To prevent spiritual disunity in our body? Strong a body, close a body, that's a long-term goal for a believer. And then intimacy and love for Christ is evident. The knowledge, that's intimacy. That's love for Christ. What will it look like as I love the Lord more and I help others to love the Lord more? What will it look like in the body as we become a group of people who love Jesus more and more and we grow in our love, our intimacy with Him? What will that look like? And then Christ reflected in every area of our lives. We're full grown. We're a full grown man in Christ or a full grown woman. The full measure of maturity in Christ. Every area of our life, we've grown. What area in your life is still lagging behind? A lot of us can see areas where we've grown in the Lord, but there always seems to be some of those kind of leftover areas that don't get much attention and we don't see much growth. And what the Bible's saying here is, we're full grown in every area. Do you want that? Do you want that not just so you will look better as a Christian or be better or have a better life or an easier life or people to say, man, what a great Christian, what a strong Christian, but so the body will glorify Christ in a greater way. 
the body will be known for loving Christ in an amazing way. The body will be strong spiritually and strong in the unity of the faith. That's what spiritual growth, the Bible says, is all about. Now, as we close, would you permit me just kind of one illustration to hopefully help you to kind of connect the dots and tie this all together? No? Okay, I'll sit down. Well, let, let, me, let me go back. Contract, the contract. Some of you deal with contracts. I was thinking of that. I was thinking of Russ and Caleb, and they deal with contracts every day. So, before you were saved, it's like you're driving around in an old wreck of an automobile. Now, at one time you were going real fast, it was really great, and you were living the way you wanted to live, and it was just fantastic. But now you've just, uh, you know, you, you've, you've had some, you know, run-ins in the ditch, and the car's old. And in fact, it's not only old, it's breaking down, it's breaking down in traffic, uh, the brakes don't work, uh, parts are falling off of it, and, and now it's dangerous. It could kill you. And so one day, your friendly Allen Tillery salesman calls you. You didn't even know that he knew you needed a car. You hadn't told him. But he gives you a call. And he says, I've got just the car for you. And you said, well, I wasn't looking for a car. Well, you need one and we've got one for you. It's just the one you need. And so you agree to come down. And your car just kind of falls apart as you drive into the lot there. And so they show you, and man, it is great, and it looks great, and everything's fantastic. And, and you're thinking, man, this would just be great, but there is no way I can afford this. But the salesman always says, you can't afford this. We can do this. We can make this happen. And so they make you a contract, and they say, here, here's what, here's what we're going to do. And you say, I can't afford it. I don't have any money. And they say, wait a minute, you've got to see this contract. This is a deal you cannot, one day and one day only. No, I, I don't know why they always say that. And I don't know if you guys say that. You don't say that. Caleb says no. But they lay the contract out before you. And you know what it says? Your new car is free. It is completely free. It's been paid for. You can afford it. Because there's nothing you can do to afford it. It's already been taken care of. But not only that, the contract goes on to say, that every single thing you will ever need from this day forward concerning you and that car will absolutely be taken care of by Alan Tillery Chevrolet. Every ding, every, every flat tire, every oil change, every single thing, gas, everything will be completely taken care of. Furthermore, they're going to mail you monthly checks Every single month. You don't have to pay a payment. They're going to send you checks to drive the car. How do you like this contract, Russ? You got some good deals, yeah. yeah. And then not only that, they are going to periodically call you and bring you in and they're going to give you add-ons and upgrades. They're going to make it more luxurious. They're going to keep where it's better than the day that you got it. Now, how many of you would look at that kind of contract and say, I'm not interested in that at all? Well, we'd be pretty idiotic if we did, wouldn't we? Salvation is so much better than that fictitious contract. 
You were lost and dead in your sins. The Lord called you. You didn't call Him. He saved you. He put you in to salvation. He made you a new creature. And He is agreeing to a contract to continue to meet and provide every single need to be at work in your life continually. That that this salvation is even going to be better and better and better as you surrender to Him and as you obey Him. What are you driving around in as far as your salvation? It's probably way beneath what we... Russ can get you into something better. What are you driving around as far as your relationship with the Lord? Parts falling off of of your spiritual life? Breaks out? Still kind of having trouble with certain temptations? Listen, go back to the contract. Be reminded how great and how gracious your God is. Fall in love with Him. See His greatness and say, I want to grow, Lord. I want to surrender. I I don't want to live beneath everything that You have for me and that You provided at the cross. I want to get in on every bit of it. Not just for my growth, but for Your glory. Every head bowed and every eye closed.